Sister Dana Gillespie, the Sri Satya Sai Global Council West Indies, lovingly welcomes you to the series Awake, Unite and Inspire. It's truly a privilege, an honor and a joy to have you as our guest on this evening's program. So Sister Dana, share with us, how did you first come into contact with our beloved Mother Sai? Well, first, let me say, by the way, Fai's Sai Ram before I answer that question and there you are sitting suitably behind a wonderful picture of Swami and I'm in my downstairs room in London and I'm in my kind of what I call my workroom so there's I've got his books behind me and I mean I have got pictures of Swami in every room but they're all kind of small you've got him larger than life as as it how it, how it should be how did I first come into contact well I suppose it was about 40 years ago uh, somebody passed a copy of Man of Miracles to me and I read it instantly because I had nothing else to read on a particular train journey across Europe and I was so moved by the book I jumped on a plane um, three weeks later thinking this is it and felt like the chosen one and went and sat there of course at the back because of my bad leg and Swami ignored me for 12 years but all that changed when I started. I mean, I used to go every year for a couple of weeks and just sit there um, like an idiot somewhere at the back. But I was quite content, you know. I was quite happy if I could just see a tiny little bit of orange robe past a pillar or one hair sticking out. That was enough for me because that's all I expected ever to get. And nobody was more surprised than me when I was asked to sing for the 70th birthday. And I mean, from then on, my life changed. My life had changed anyway the moment my eyes clapped eyes, uh, clapped eyes on him. Um, it was such a profound effect and it touched my heart. And although maybe physically we don't get to see him in that form ever again, though it was such an impact on me that uh, he's, I feel the presence all day, every day. Um, and it's changed my life totally for the better. So, so Dana, Sister Dana, share with us, 
what was the feeling like when you first saw Swami in the physical form? And what year was that? Do you know, I can't remember the years. I'm, I'm very bad with numbers. But as I said, I think it's about 40 years ago. And the feeling was, I. the first thing I thought was, and I never was thinking this before, I must stop eating meat. This thought was very strong. I mean, not that, I, not that I was a huge meat eater, but it immediately flashed in my mind, even though I was sitting way at the back and he was miles away in the site. In the time when there was sand on the floor of the cycle, well, it wasn't a hall, it was just that area outside the Mandir. So from far away, I mean, I literally was gulp. Oh my gosh, what have I seen? You know, it, it just shook me but this thing of don't eat animals was very very strong and the moment the moment I heard that animals have gone out of my life except I mean on a plate not in reality because I love them to death and I know that many of you in Trinidad are very keen animal lovers thankfully because when I was with you I got to go to the dog shelter and you know meet some of your lovely fellow devotees who are animal mad but it changed my life. Just one glance was all it took, and I was hooked. I was, I was, I was, you know, it was as if hands up, this is it, this is my my life. And I was told from a very wise Indian woman, really from the early days, that the most important thing really is to surrender and surrender to the feet, I could say, or to his teachings. And it's so simple in a way, when you feel that love in your heart, surrender is not a negative thing. It's not like you're giving up the power to someone else. You just know that you have him sitting in your heart and, and, and this, this consciousness guides you. So this is a kind of what I call surrender. I'm your Swami, I've surrendered. <laughs> so Sister Dana, you are so blessed, you are so fortunate to, in addition to so many other blessings that Swami has bestowed upon you, you had this rarest good fortune on many, many occasions to sing in the immediate physical presence of Bhagwan Sri Satya Sai Baba. He actually requested you. What a tremendous blessing that is. And could you share with us, you've had so many wonderful experiences with our beloved Mother Sai, but can you select two of the most memorable ones and share it with us? Well, I, I have told many people about, you know, I used to love bhajans, so I started to make bhajan albums, but when I made my first, well, it was still on a cassette form, because this was a long time ago, um, which was a, my first bhajan CD, I was convinced when I was suddenly out of the blue, I received a telephone call saying, would you sing for Swami's 70th birthday in the Hillview Stadium? And I was convinced that he wanted, must have wanted bhajans, because that, that's the only kind of music you heard at the ashram in those days. And I was told, no, Swami wants the Western music, which of course is my blues. So this put me in a quandary because I'd Anyway, I did. I sang blues, and uh, I didn't really get to see Swami because it was so many thousands of people were there. He was so far away, and I was convinced that I was told that by everyone that he always took 
people in for an interview the day after they performed there, but he ignored me yet again. So when I finally, a few months later, after the 70th birthday, was in the interview room, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that it's a sort of blurry f fuzz in my brain because I have had quite a few interviews since then, but I had a feeling he just invited me in there just to sort of satisfy my curiosity what was inside the room. I kept seeing these people disappearing in there. But then after I started being asked to sing for every birthday, um, it was amazing. He'd come sort of what I'd call backstage, but in the Mandir when I'd be, in the days when I was still in Shalva Kamiz and a dupata, he came to make sure that the dupata was pinned on correctly so that I didn't leap out onto the stage bit and sing. And, you know, he, I used to always go like this, move about. And Swami once came on, on the area, the veranda, in front of all the men saying, look at Dana, she's always going like this. And he did exactly my movements. I mean, okay, in the interview room, as I said, they've all kind of merged into one. But there was one occasion when he said to me, um, do you want to ask me a question? And I'd seen many people go in with what I call shopping lists for Swami, you know, can you get a husband for my daughter or should I take this job or what do I do with my son who doesn't want to, whatever. And I had no question. So when he asked me, do you want to ask me a question? I had to think of something pretty quickly. So I was just him and me alone in there. Um, and I said, Swami, um, what is the me point of this all, meaning life? And he just looked with a little twinkle at me and he said, these five words, which I tell people whenever I get a chance, because I think it's important. These five words are play the game, be happy. So, you know, it's very simple. I love Swami's simpleness with his teachings. So that I tell this to people because we have to, try, no matter how tough, no matter how hard, we have to play the game and be happy in sometimes what are very difficult circumstances. But we also have to remember that he does never, he never gives us, gives us more than we can handle. Okay, I've seen things materialize, but you know, any magician could theoretically fool me because I'm, you know, I've never been to Vegas to see these famous magicians, but I can be fooled. But this isn't magic, what Swami does. It's beyond magic. It's, um, I've seen things that are incomprehensible, actually, where things come out of nowhere. But my, I mean, I took my mother to see Swami in her 80s, and uh, she had seen him once about 20 years before, but from a distance, and he just walked straight up to her. There was just the three of us in the little, little room, and he put his thumb on her eye and held it for about a minute, two minutes there. Well, I was thinking, what on earth's going on? And then we went and sat down and he talked to us and he said many things to my mother and to me. And when the whole interview was over, I said to my mother, what on earth was that thing with the thumb? And she said, well, I've had the most tremendous pain in my eye for about a month before coming here, but I didn't tell you because I didn't want to ruin our holiday going to see Swami. And she said the moment he took his thumb away, the pain was gone. So, you know, this is a woman who was not kind of bowled over by fantasies and fancies, which I easily could have. She was very down-to-earth woman and she adored Swami till the end. Um, so, yeah, that's that was pretty amazing. I've seen him, well, he's given me things. I know you wanted to ask me about something that he gave me. Am I jumping the gun, Fies? Or have you got, have you got a list of questions there that you're going to hit me with? <laughs>
No, you go ahead and share accordingly. Whatever comes, you, you, know you wanted me to show. You wanted me to show you something. Okay, I'm, I yes, don't I, know. I know. I know. Uh, Sister Dana Baba has blessed you with out of that compassion and love the Lord has given you many physical objects as a representation of His presence and His love. So, are you able to share one or two items with us, uh, and maybe the little story? as to how you came to get it? Well, there's one thing, but actually I know that what you're talking about is, and you're very naughty, Fies, because I knew you were going to ask me this, and I, Swami had always said, if, if I give you something, whether it's wisdom or something that you say, or jewellery, don't blow your trumpet about it because the value is devalued. However, if asked, I can not refuse, and actually, it's a pretty astounding thing. It's this thing here. You see this gold necklace? When I do concerts and I'm tired, or, or if my voice could be tired, I put this thing on. And now it is quite heavy. It's gold. And as he gave it to me, he said, this is to protect your voice. And I have since then had experiences where I actually, one time in Uzbekistan, I was doing a concert there in Tashkent, I had such a bad throat, my nose was completely blocked and I couldn't even speak. I put the necklace on before the concert, went out there, and there was about 600 people in the audience there, and amazingly, my voice came back. It went the moment I took the, the, the necklace off at the end, and I've had quite a few experiences with this, so this is what I call my secret weapon because in fact, I might as well try and put it on now. Yeah. So I'm Sister talking. Dana, can you, can you bring it a little closer to the camera yeah. um, so we can see it closer? Oh my God. You know, the thing is, it's too, if I close my hand round it, this is my hand closed round it, I can't get the whole thing in there. Now my hands aren't that big, but they're okay, they're a bit arthritic now. But Swami had small, delicate hands. It suddenly was there. There was no bit sticking out of the side. It just came from somewhere. But because he said, this is for your voice, this, I suppose, is the most precious thing I have because singing is, for me, the duty that he wants me to do. But while we're on the subject, of, and Christmas is, we're getting close to Christmas, and I feel like he did deck me out a bit like a Christmas tree, and you did ask me, but here is another one i'm going to push it in closer can you see it i don't know if i'm holding it at the right can is it visible guys absolutely visible and is that shirdi baba that is shirdi now he gave me this after the 75th birthday when i'd performed there with my band and it glitters like crazy i don't wear it that often because obviously if i walk out in london you know somebody might bop me on the head just to see it but he gave a smaller version of this with exactly the same, but smaller diamonds and smaller, but still Shirdi Baba to my mother. So when she died, I tried to hand that and the green ring he'd given her back to him, but he wouldn't take it. So <laughs> I, I've got two in fact, <laughs> and they're also prized, but it's the gold necklace because of the singing is for me the most important, the most valuable, actually. Even if it was made of tin, it's the most valuable to me because I know that he protects my voice. And my duty 
on this planet really is to communicate with people and to sing. He wouldn't have given me a voice if I if I if he didn't want me to use it. And he, I think I've mentioned this to you. He once said to me in one of the interviews, he said, I'm going to give you spiritual diamonds and you will take them all over the world. I had no idea what he was talking about. But within six months, I was starting to visit lots of different countries, talking about him, singing, of course. And I have sort of developed, thanks to him, a talent at communication. So, and I love to talk about him. You know how it is, you're tired and everyone's tired and you start talking about him and everyone's energized. This happens, well, it used to happen in the days when we could all travel and not wear a face mask. <laughs> anyway, what was, how, did I answer your question? Certainly, Dana. Can you share another one of those memorable experiences? You mentioned about the, the necklace and Swami said it's going to protect your voice. Can you share that experience? Well, you, you know, when he gave it to me, I didn't quite know what he even meant about protecting my voice. But as I said, I have I've had experience where I actually have wondered how I could even get on stage because I'm voiceless. Sometimes, you know, you get a cold, but you have a concert and you have to do the concert. You've been booked or whatever. So it it works is all I can say. I don't know how it works, this, this, this amazing thing, but da-da, it works with a vengeance. So I'm extremely happy about that. He gave me a ring, which sadly I can't wear. It's upstairs, so I won't go and get it for you now. He said, this is very valuable and it's a huge kind of emeraldy thing. But, you know, as I've got older and aches and pains and uh, arthritis in hands, you know, living in London where everything's cold. He once stroked my mother's. He was like that. He stroked her arthritic hands and I was sitting on the floor. And my mother was sitting on the chair next to him on the sofa next to him. He was stroking her arthritic hands saying oh, arthritis. And I said, I mean, I was so cheeky. I said, but Swami, I've got it too. And he, he said, yes, but I'm dealing with her. <laughs> he could be quite funny, you know. And after the birthdays, especially after the 75th birthday, he saw all my musicians. I mean, they weren't devotees. He took them into the room. I, he saw me first privately, but then he, he saw all the band and which was amazing. And I had paid for all my musicians tickets to go out there because, you know, I'd actually said to them, who wants to go and do a concert in an ashram where you can't drink or smoke or eat meat? And of course, half of them looked horrified and didn't want to go. But by the time I got them all there, got all their costumes made and which is what I wore for that Om Shakti video, which I, I sent you singing in the stadium. So they're all in their clothes, but they didn't, they weren't devotees. And it was quite difficult. So I paid the ticket and the very next day I came in and I told nobody this, how much I'd paid. In fact, I can't remember what it, it was now, but Swami called me in and he just handed me over an envelope with all the cost of the airline tickets I just paid out. <laughs> is that not bonkers? Is that not? wild I, I mean who else but the beloved lord can do that <laughs> sister dana that is mind-boggling swami <laughs> wrote an envelope with the cost yeah. of the tickets and gave it to yeah. you my god look at this divine mother this ocean of compassion so yeah. sister dana tell us you 
got an interview with Swami and yourself alone. So in, let's try and wrap our minds around this. There you are sitting one or two feet away from God in human form. This omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God, this Jesus, this Rama, this Krishna, this Allah, you and God alone, what, what was that feeling like? Well, I had quite a few alone and I was quite pleased about that because always the talk around the ashram was, oh, he doesn't see women alone, you know, so, you know, he doesn't see people alone or certainly not women. And I, and I have never seen much of a distinction between men and women and Swami used to call me sir. So I felt quite happy about that too. But I've often felt, you know, in a past life, I must have been around in Shirdi Baba's time. Otherwise, why would he have given me this outrageous diamond necklace with the Shirdi thing? Um, sitting alone, when you say one or two feet, I used to get up as close as I could. And I'd always heard that if you're very lucky to be that close, to slip your hand under his feet, because that's where the real power is. Somebody told me that once. So I thought I'd try it out. And I slipped my hand under his thumb, under his big toes, I mean, and just sat there with my hand there. God knows what energy it was doing, but it's pretty amazing. You know, I, I, I came out of there all, each time. I always felt like I'd been to see my absolute best friend. There's, it's beyond belief, actually, that to sit so close to the Lord when he was in, in living form. I don't know what I've done in a past life. I always thought I'd lived some horrible kind of mad life in the music business in the old days, probably working somewhere in New Orleans uh, as a, because of my love of the blues music. But he, 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 I think he just liked my sense of humor, actually. I I'd never acted afraid. A lot of people seemed almost nervous to be close to him. I just felt, phew, thank goodness, I've come home. Here's the greatest thing ever on the planet. What more do I wish for? And I don't want big houses. I don't want modern cars. I just don't want to ever lose my love for him. That, for me, would be hell, living hell, actually, is to suddenly wake up and think, oh, I don't like this any longer. Or, worse still, dementia, where you forget him. Um, you know, I pray that till my last breath, I still have him with this massive feeling of love in my heart. That's all I want, actually. I don't want anything else, except I quite like to keep singing. So, Sister Dana, that is, that is so wonderful. And you are transporting us with you as you relive <laughs> these experiences. But you sent a video to myself where you you did an offering in front of Swami in the Hillview Stadium. When I look at the video and you look at the vast expanse of the crowd, my God, hundreds of thousands of devotees from all over the world. What was that experience like singing in front of Swami in that vast ocean of humanity? Well, I sang for his 70th birthday, 75th and the 80th in the big stadium. All the other times were singing in the cycle one hall, except for twice when I was actually ill. Although I was in Puttaparthi, I spent the birthday in the super specialty hospital. Yet yeah, that video is amazing because 
first of all, the crowd is enormous. People cannot imagine how big the crowd is. And it was the first year, my cousin was actually the cameraman for the 75th birthday. And he was the only Westerner, the only person allowed with a camera on the side of the stage and sort of down below looking straight up at Swami. So we've just had this clip, uh, how you say, mixed and put together. So are you going to be playing it? This this video clip. Oh well, good on you, because nobody's seen it. It's it's kind of new, and I'm not. There's the whole concert. We've only mixed and put together one song so far, but there could be the whole concert. But it, we have to go into studios and do it. So it's been sitting for 25 years with my cousin, and I saw it at the beginning of this year for the first time, and my jaw dropped. I'd forgotten how huge the crowd is. But I was sitting with a friend of mine who'd never didn't know much about Swami. And the moment the camera turns around and shows the crowd, he literally leapt out of his chair and went, my goodness, because people cannot imagine what a, it's bigger than Woodstock. It's bigger than maybe not bigger than the Kumbh Mela, which is that thing every four years. But to have him up there, of course, I don't look at him. Let's say he's sitting on my right or my left which has happened quite a few times when he's sitting quite close. I don't look at him because I'd be reduced to sort of a jelly. I'm, I know that I'm there, my duty, my job, the, what he wants me to do is to sing for him. So I sing out to the audience. Occasionally I have been known to take a small glance at him and I'm told that he always looks at me, which is nice. And I get to offer the rose petals uh, before and uh, well before I start singing on his feet or sometimes I have thrown them over him which made him smile but it is pretty amazing I mean I don't get nervous when I sing but when I have sung these particularly the stadiums I have felt quite charged up I suppose is the word and for the 75th it had been drizzling weather before the concert and we'd been backstage um, at the back of the of the Hillview Stadium, uh, where the Shanti Vedika is, and you know that had been looking rather grey and dismal, and Swami had come to check as usual if I was dressed correctly, pinned in at the right places, and uh, he just said, "Oh, what do you think of this weather?" And I said, "Well, Swami, I'm from London. It rains a lot." And he said, mm -hmm. "He looked up, and then ten minutes later, I looked up, and all the clouds had been given their marching orders and had gone, and the concert went off with a swing. It's nerve-wracking because I worry when I've sung with the musicians. I worry about, you know, is the guitar level fine? What's happening with the pianist? Because they're all guys I work with. But for me myself." I'm, I'm as happy as anything. Put me back in front of Swami and I'm happy to sing all day long. So Sister Dana, that is absolutely wonderful, joyful. It's, it's, it's unbelievable that blessing that Swami bestowed upon you in addition to so many to sing at his birthday celebration and offering. Wow, amazing. It is amazing. I, you know, it is amazing. What else can one say? It's beyond amazing, Fies. It's mad. It's bonkers. <laughs> well, I always said that Swami has a great sense of humor because I've often thought that I'm the least likely person to be up there singing for him. I'm not walking around holy, holy all day long. I'm, I'm a singer. I'm out on the road. 
But I think as long as he fills one's heart with compassion, he didn't mind I was a blues singer. I might have upset a few of the old crew that uh, in Puttaparthi because they'd not heard Western music before. But Swami was wanting the world to know about him, not just the Indian world. So I think I've been quite useful, I hope, by going to different countries. Long to come back to your place and stay at your place and sing to the, you know, your local people. But hey, one day when we can all travel. So, so Sister Dana, it leads me to another question as you are speaking. I am Tell sure me. that when you were at the ashram, and Swami made those requests for you to, to sing. I know the ashram officials and devotees generally, generally would have had opinions like, wow, this is unorthodox, this is not proper, dancing in front of Swami, singing those type of songs. I know there were some challenges that you faced with the officials, but then Swami himself told you to do it. How, how did you navigate that situation? Well, there was one situation. There's a song called Move Your Body Close to Me, that if anyone punches in my name and move your body close to me, there's a really nice video. It's a song I did years ago. And uh, Swami had sent me his boys to work with one year. And he said, now you do these five songs. And it was fixed that I rehearsed with the boys every day. And about 10 minutes before we, I was about to go out and sing in front of Swami. So I'm sort of in the back areas, I'm in the mandir. And his boys, you know, all super golden boys had been, we'd been practicing every day. And somebody had looked at the lyrics and two people quite high up who will be nameless in the organization came up and said, you can't sing words like this to Swami. I said, but he's said, you know, I must sing these five songs. No, you can't possibly. So I then I had 10 minutes of real nervous thinking. I had to go deep inside thinking, what am I to do? And I'd said to them, okay, I'll tell Swami that, I'll ask Swami, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. But if you don't want me, just say, I'll kick it out. We do four songs. I come out, just uh, gave him the rose petals. And I said, Swami, should I do this song? And he said, you do it. So I did it and <laughs> probably annoyed everyone. And the following year, I was actually ill and in the hospital. And a, a one person had told a friend of mine, you see, Swami didn't like that song. That's why she's not singing this year. But so he can put up challenges, but I only listen to the big boss. I don't listen to anyone else. And okay, the words move your body close to me, maybe by old ashram standards, aren't quite what you'd normally expect. But I know that 99.999% of the people sitting in the audience there were all longing for him to physically move his body close to them or come up and, you know, bop them on the head or take a letter or something. So in that respect, my words were right and they were wrong because they were thinking, I was thinking things other ways. But, you know, I think it's the purity with which you approach a subject. You know, I even with my blues, I can sing rather racy lyrics, but when I'm thinking of him, they are no longer racy, it's him I'm singing to. How the audience takes it, that's, that's their problem. Sister Dana, that is so amazing and two important lessons that come out of what you've just shared is that if God is happy, if he has given the approval, he will look after everything else. So instead of pleasing the world, 
we should please God. We should listen to his instruction. If God be for you, who can be against you? <laughs> very, very true. So we have to, all of us, be tuned inwards to listen to the inner voice wherein the voice of God sits and really not pay too much attention, if possible, to what the outside world says. It, that's if your conscience really tells you this is how it should be. Uh, and not be judgmental too, which is very difficult in this, in this mad world that we're living in now. It's very easy to get annoyed or about, I don't know what, or upset. I mean, there's so much troubles going on, but he is there. And that's the most important thing that we ever need to know. He is there and he, he looks after us. He does not give us more than we can handle, which is just as well. <laughs> So, Sister Dara, I want to go back to the question that you asked Swami in the interview when he mm. asked for a question. You basically said to Swami, what, what is all of this, Swami? What is this? What's the purpose of this existence and life? And Swami told you those five words, play the game, be happy. How did you and how have you received that, processed it, and is applying it to your everyday existence? Well, I am actually quite a happy person. So I am obeying in one sense. I do play the game. I see this whole world as a game. And don't forget, I've been singing professionally since 1966. So I have been in one of the most ridiculous games in life ever. Each of us are given a role to play. Um, you know, it's like we're pieces in a chess game we get moved around um, and and my particular game can be stressful and when I was before I should say pre-Swami days you know I, it was complicated and difficult and things would maybe upset me but it's so much easier when you know that he's actually in control <laughs> so um I, I play his game and I am a happy person. I suppose I'll just keep pay, playing it until, you know, I'm 72 now. So I'm aware that time is running out. So I won't be able to do that many more concerts or I, as I said, as long as I can think of him up until my deathbed, my last breath, it's how we leave this planet is the most important thing to have him in our mind. So if we start, you know, Swami always said it's not, you can't be prepared for your death. You know, it's not like posing for a photograph and somebody goes click and you're posed and ready. We could go any moment. So we have to play his game and know that we're in his hands. So it, it it's affected me. It's lifted a whole burden off my shoulders, strangely enough, because in a way I could say, well, it's a game. Okay, life can be really tough and awful things are happening. But also there's some reason behind these things that we maybe we'll never understand. I've given up trying to understand anything. I just carry on trying to do my duty of, of being happy, spreading happiness to other people. Just giving out a good energy can help people. A smile costs nothing. Be nice to a shopkeeper who's had a horrible day or, you know, a policeman, you know, might have had people rather annoyed with him or whatever be happy to everyone and nice you know what i'm talking about fires because it's it's this is the ethics that goes with loving our beloved lord that's how he wants us to be it's 
pretty simple, actually. And it leads me to another question, uh, Sister Dana. I know you are very passionate. You are a champion for those that do not have any voices. The animals, animal saver. Swami's yeah. life demonstrated so much love to all the animals that he came into contact with. And it's a very, very important aspect of Swami's teachings. Can you share a little bit about your experience with how we should treat animals? And I know you're aware of Swami's teachings on it, but share a little bit about your perspective related to Bhagwan on this. Uh, well, it's, it's a, I hate to use this word that's bandied about everywhere, mindfulness, but actually, I can't bear to see any animal in pain or suffering, which is why I'm horrified by the amount of meat that is eaten, because I haven't yet meet, met an animal that says, here I am, give me a load of pain, kill me so that I can sit on your plate for, my, for your pleasure. Um, so I, the slaughter of animals really upsets me. Any animal that is mistreated upsets me. I don't know how certain countries can eat dogs, for example, or treat any animal badly. Um, and I think it's because most people don't think about what they're eating, where the food sources come from. Um, so this disturbs me a lot. I mean, I personally, I'm a huge fan of cats and dogs. I mean, that's my thing. Um, you know, I, I probably run the opposite direction if I saw a king cobra come at me. I mean, so I can say I love all animals, but there are a few that I'm not so crazy to sit down with. But I, I really think people are incredibly cruel because they're not thinking of this poor animal. And, you know, to quote Shakespeare from um, The Merchant of Venice, there's Shylock, when he's at court, he says, if you cut us, do we not bleed? Everyone who has, we have blood but so do the animals, they have blood. We should treat them like us. And let's face it, a, a pig is far more intelligent than anyone would ever give him, you know, if you've, if you've talked to a little baby piglet and they follow you around or a puppy or a, or a calf and you look in the eyes of a cow, these beautiful eyes with their long eyelashes and they know when they're being led to the slaughterhouse, you know, and then when you slaughter an animal, this fear, this agony that it goes through is very subtly goes into the meat chain that you are then eating. So no wonder people don't sleep so well. They're eating fear or they're eating something that this poor animal has gone through. So I'm quite passionate about that now. I usually wouldn't ever talk about this. None of my friends would, I would say this to because they all think I'm bonkers, though those that are meat eaters. Um, but most people I meet are becoming more aware. It's incredible the amount of, let's say, vegetarian options you have in life. But I really think they are our equal. They just don't talk. They talk in different ways. You know, I used to have a cat. You could talk to it and she'd give an answer with a little flick of her tail. And I knew what that meant. I used to keep dogs and cats always. I, I long to keep more animals, but. I've traveled too much, so I haven't got anyone to look after them. But no, it, everyone should be aware of this, you know, and, and then we, I don't want to get onto the subject of plastic, 
because that's another of the things that bothers me. Do you remember when I was in Trinidad, I kept, I was shocked by the amount of polystyrene packaging and everything that lay in the little streams by the side of the road. And then animals don't know this and they go along and eat plastic. We have to be aware. I went to your, that, that dog shelter, dog and cat shelter when I was in Trinidad. And of course I longed to take various ones home with me, but you can't do that, but everyone can do their bit and should help. And to see, as you know, I was in tears almost when I saw some of the parrots in cages, you know, and I can't bear to see any animal in a cage. I have not yet met a human that wants to sit in a cage all its life. So why would an animal want to be in a cage on its own um, without being able to fly free? So this is a message I do wish more and more people would think about why they are doing some of the things they're doing. It's ignorance. It's just, it's sad ignorance actually. And I don't want to eat death on a plate, no way. So I love my animals. And you can have a lot of fun with animals. I adore them. So Sister Dana, you have been in contact with Swami over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. He has given you guidance. He's blessed you. You've sung in front of him. It has evoked so much joy in this avatar's heart. What does Sai Baba mean to you today? Well, he means my whole life, but I keep quiet about him. In, well, if somebody asks me, he means my whole life because I, I try and start the day with love, spend the day with love, fill the day with love and end the day with love. That is the way to God. That's it. This is what it means to me is filling my day with love, even with mundane experiences. Um, just getting on with life, but knowing that he's the most important thing, actually. Um, what a joy, what a relief. It's like having, it's like having cement blocks taken off your shoulders when you know that he's there. And this one thing of taking one step towards him and he takes 10 steps towards you. For people who are only starting out to know about Swami, that is another important thing, you know, just asking him to come into your life. So he's, he'll, he's, he's my whole life, um, what can I say? Um, uh, but it, it, it's not even, you know, sadly, most of the budgeon centers that, well, certainly the one I used to go to in London since the pandemic, a lot of them are closed down and I'm hopeless at Zoom. It's a miracle you've been able to get me on this screen at all because I'm extremely old fashioned. But um, in my weird old fashionedness, he is my whole life. I don't have to watch it, it, any garbage on a on a computer screen very much apart from writing emails. So I can get on with life knowing that he's there and guiding me. That it's just my life. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, Fives. I, it's very difficult to put it into words, isn't it? It's a feeling. Wonderful, wonderful sharing, uh, Sister Dana. You know, Swami has a saying, I am God, but you are God also. The only difference is that I know that I am God, whereas you are progressing to achieve that. How do you process that statement, Dana? Well, it's a difficult one because if I go around telling my friends, by the way, I'm God, 
<laughs> they'd say certify that woman but there was an old Sufi saying and I can't remember who it came from somebody like Ibn Arabi and I was very taken with this saying and he, and he said something like if I told the world what I really know all my friends would shrivel up and die they'd just perish they wouldn't understand and it's this sort of thing and no we are all aspects of God it's just if you don't understand it, it sounds like you're being big headed or talking complete twaddle. But I feel it. Um, I feel so close to him that if he, I'm that close, I've got to be a part of him anyway. Uh, but by, I can't walk around and say I'm God because <laughs> I'd be certified. But in a strange way, I know that I am, but I feel I am as much God as perhaps. A, a poor hungry dog on the street who needs some help. We're all at different levels of development, but um, yeah, we are, we are all kind of gods and God created us to be what we are. So we are part of him, otherwise he wouldn't have created us. And you know, as you were talking about that Sufi saint, I remember a great Sufi saint either Imam Ghazali or Jaluddin Rumi uh -huh. said, we are not a drop in the ocean. We are the ocean in the drop. Exactly. Absolutely. How true. Yes. So we are, and then Swami addresses us. Embodiments of the divine Atma, embodiments of Ananda, embodiments of truth. He doesn't address us as sinners. Because he is addressing who we truly are, which is divinity, which is God in human form. Well, we do make mistakes, of course, because we're human. But sometimes one learns mostly by one's mistakes. Fies, you probably don't know that every week on YouTube, I do a weekly thing called Globetrotting with Gillespie. And I interview famous people, or sometimes not so famous, but at the end of each episode, they're all about 10, 15 minutes long. So you just go onto YouTube and write in Globetrotting with Gillespie. I often have Sufi sayings or quotes from Swami. Um, so they're hidden in between lighthearted conversations because I want, I want his message to get to people who probably wouldn't know about him anymore. Um, you know, it's, he's not advertised. Nobody's out there kind of recruiting or asking for money. He's... He's there in a different way. I'm very much aware that, that less and less people in England, I don't know how it is where you are, that kind of talk about him or know about him because he's not advertised. He's not, you know, he's not up there saying, come to a Sai Baba meeting. It's, you have to search for him and that makes him all the more precious. And when you found him, don't let him, go. well, he won't let you go once you find him. That's that's so good. So I kind of mention his name. I like to get his his uh, emotion or of his things to do with love. I like to put it into songs and that's how I can spread his message. But often not with saying his, not saying his name because he didn't want us to be out advertising. His message is love. And that is, that is just simple. Love, love, love. That's actually all there is. And he always said, I'm not this figure in 
orange with you know running around opening schools and hospitals my message is the important thing so that's what we're doing um is spreading the message and darada sister darada that is so wonderful what you're doing and you made such a pertinent point it's not so much the form but the message and then what you've been sharing on youtube is reflecting his message and his message is love and that love is really the essence of all religion all scriptural teachings all the teachings of the masters can be summed up in divine love because i remember swami saying if you engage in seva meditation chanting the name but it does not manifest into love then you merely engage in good actions so that love must be something that comes out of your devotion and i remember him saying i don't want your devotion i want your transformation so <laughs> devotion must lead to transformation which is all about love for god well as for transformation you know this year the, the pandemic last year was quite good for me in one sense i sat at home and managed to finish my memoirs which is called weren't born a man which is the title of an album i did in 1973 so my memoirs came out okay lots of racy stories when i was younger in the 60s and 70s but in the when i get on to the 80s i meant i start to talk about swami and the main thing is the transformation and i make this very clear in my book because you know we're none of us born you know without mistakes and things but we can always get better we're like bits of gold we have to be polished up to shine and and this transformation is the most important thing and i feel thanks to beloved lord that i've ha had a real chance to go from from wild times in the 60s and 70s i believe me i was there i had a good time i'm not complaining about them but the transformation of what i swami had molded me into as a singer too how my voice and my way of thinking my songwriting progressed it's the transformation thanks to him uh, i i have to thank him for every single thing there's not a thing that i can't not thank him for that is so wonderful wonderful sister dana and swami always talks about gratitude you know so every day we should be given thanks for every opportunity embracing it with gratitude to make us bigger better and stronger inside so sister dana we are in the month of december yes <laughs> the christmas and festive season is beginning to permeate the atmosphere and i know you would have spent some or at least one christmas in prashanti nilayam do you know i never did because oh, when my mother was when my mother was alive she always liked christmas and i thought well it's so full of people who've got children who want to go to put a party why with no children should i go and take up more space so i'm not a big christmas person but i you had said to me earlier before we went on the air that you wanted me to sing a christmas carol is that right yes and if if it is okay would you be able to render and offer that to swami to <clears throat> us for now well i can I'll, i'll tell you what i can do because of course we're in london well i'm in london it's freezing cold i heard yesterday on the news that it was minus 8 degrees up in scotland 
and you were sitting in fabulous temperatures in Trinidad. I'm jealous as hell that I'm not there enjoying it and swimming in the sea. But there's, I don't really do much of Christmas carols, but there is one that I like, and it's very reflective of when you're in a cold country. And I won't sing all the verses, but I'll just sing you the two verses of one that I've always liked called In the Bleak Midwinter. And so it's not one of these jolly jingle bells type of carols because I don't really do them. It's I don't do that. It, they, they don't they don't reflect my inner soul. Whereas this one does. And the reason I'm going to sing you two verses just off the top of my head is because I want everyone to listen to the second verse. The second verse has wisdom, and I will talk about it afterwards. Let me just get into the the zone, get into the mood um, of in the bleak midwinter. Mid in the bleak midwinter, frosty winds made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow on snow. In the bleak midwinter, long time ago what can i give him poor as i am if i were a shepherd i would give a lamb if i were a wise man i would do my part but what i have i give him I give my heart. So that's the second verse. Isn't that important that we give him our heart? So it's not your average jolly Christmas carol with lots of jingly tinsel and jingle bells. I prefer the reflective side. And we only have to give him our heart. I've sung this to him in songs at his birthdays in various boogie woogies and blues. And I have mentioned it's how can I give a heart that already belongs to him? But this is all we have is to give our heart. So that's my that's my contribution to a Christmas carol. Not very Christmas. That is that is so touching. It being it brings tears to our eyes. You sang it with so much of soul and sincerity. Thank you so much for that beautiful offering. And as you are in the singing mood, are you able? <laughs> You sang so many beautiful ones in front of Bhagwan over the years. Can you select one and sing at least a, a part okay. of it? <laughs> right, I will. First of all, I've had a cold, so I'm a bit scratchy, but I've got, and I'm not very techno, but I've got this, I've got this thing here that will hopefully switch on the backing track onto the one side. I have to look around for this. Yep, I'm on track 11. Um, this is the song, the one song that I didn't write myself because I wrote nearly all of my songs myself, but this song is very popular and I know that you know it and it's, and it's suitable as a way of, you haven't got any other questions for me. Do we finish on this, Vice, or do we, do we carry on talking? No, you sing and then there's one or two more that we will discuss. Okay, all right. I'm hoping that the volume will work. I'm pressing the play button. This could all go horribly wrong because as I said, I'm so non-techno, but it's, 
it should be working. Yes, I can hear a bit of music in the background. Um, it, it starts softly and gets louder. It's Shower the Rose Petals. As I said, I wish I'd written this song. I've sung this a few times for Swami, three times, I think. Shower the rose petals, shower the rose petals, shower the rose petals, shower the rose petals. Lord of the universe is walking towards us. Lord of the universe is walking towards us. Shower the rose petals. Shower the rose petals. Shower the rose petals. Shower the rose petals. Lovely fragrance from the roses. Lovely fragrance from the roses. Lovely fragrance is Baba's beauty. Lovely fragrance is Baba's beauty. I am in heaven. Shower the rose petals. I am in heaven. Shower the rose petals. Shower the rose petals. Shower the rose petals. Faith is truly a wonderful gift. Faith is truly a wonderful gift. Fill your heart with love, shower the rose petals. Fill your heart with love, shower the rose petals. See the rainbow in the sky. See the rainbow in the sky. Baba walking softly by. Baba walking softly by. Loving everyone. Shower the rose petals. 
loving everyone Shower the rose petals Shower the rose petals Shower the rose petals I'm lost for words, Sister Dana. Sorry, I don't know. I suddenly felt the urge to get up and swirl around because I'm not used to singing sitting down. But it might have looked a bit odd in my little room, but he, my spirit got taken over with a bit of movement. Oh, my God. That is so, so beautiful. And I know Swami is enjoying it as well. I think beautiful. so, yes. I think he wants us to have fun, and I have fun, so it must be infectious. So, Sister Dana, you know, when you look around in the world today with the pandemic, so much death, so much loss of life, so much economic depression, people losing their houses, can't pay rents, some people can't afford food, there's so much of suffering and sadness and despondency in the world. What would you provide as a recommendation and guidelines from your own perspective as what each one of us can do to make the world a more loving, a better place? Oof, what a loaded question. <laughs> what a loaded question. I wish you could ask this to all our so-called leaders and prime ministers and presidents around the world. Um, you know, we, as a small individual, I, I can only do I can only try and reach out to the people around me and help wherever possible. I mean, the pandemic is such a, a weird thing. I mean, I had COVID about Christmas last year. In fact, it was my Christmas present to myself. I had five days in bed missing Christmas altogether, feeling pretty grim. But strangely enough, I felt sort of cleansed at the end of it when I came out of it. Um, because I was lucky, I wasn't, I mean, I was had a few moments when I was thinking, is it going to get worse? You know, so it's a worrying illness, but for those that have had it and got through it, it gives you a sort of strength to be less afraid of things. It is a scary situation. Perhaps if we didn't watch so much awful news, we wouldn't be so affected. Um, perhaps if we were out instead helping in an old people's home or in an animal shelter, 
rather than staring at something brainless on the television or terrifying news, we might feel a bit better. I don't know. I haven't got that kind of answer. That is the most loaded question anyone has ever asked me. All we can do really is just be little beacons of light and hopefully uplift the people that we bump into as we go through our daily lives. Have you got the answer, Fies? Tell me, dear brother. <laughs> well, I, I don't think there is a specific textbook answer because as Swami says, forget about what other people are doing and ask, what can I do to make the world a better place? Because you can't really change anyone, but no. you can become a light that can inspire others to do goodness. So it's all about us taking responsibility for our lives and being the best that we can be and leave the rest to Swami. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, Sister he, Dana, also, he did one, yes. I'll quickly say one thing. He did say that if you ever have any problems or troubles, lay them at his feet. He can, if we can't deal with it, try, try it. Try, try leaving the problem at his feet and see how he deals with it. It's worth a try for people who are feeling downhearted. But sorry, guys, I interrupted you. No, certainly not. And I think that is a powerful message, Sister Dana, that whatever we are experiencing, offer it at his lotus feet. That is what he says. He says, give me your problems, give me your burdens. I will look after them, as Lord Krishna says, if you surrender everything to me, I will bear the burden of your welfare. But we need, we need to do that. But sometimes out of ego, we feel that we are the doer. We can handle this. And then when we get to a space where we can no longer do anything or it's beyond us, we then want to give it to God. And sometimes when you give it to God, you want to take it back. <laughs> <laughs> or you want, you want a solution instantly. He has his own timings. We don't know. I mean, uh, you know, we don't know. We just have to soldier on. That's all so we Sister can do. Dana, the, the, not to cut you across, the, the final sharing, and this has been so wonderful, you taking the time to share your personal journey with us. But I want to end this wonderful interview by you sharing. You've come to Trinidad. You've been to the West Indies, and I know you've come before. But I want to specifically look at the, the Sai experience you had a couple of years ago when you visited Trinidad and Guyana. Can you share a little bit of that experience and what stood out for you? Well, basically, uh, well, many things. I mean, seeing lots of people gathered in different places, all loving Swami, that is anyway an uplifting thing for me or for anyone that is lucky enough to go to lots of different size centers. I mean, to see the work that was being done, you know, that thing about building a house a week that I went to, very impressive. Feeding the poor, really impressive. Helping the animals, really impressive. You know, my, you know, I come to Trinidad about 40 something years ago in the 70s, 50 years ago, actually, when I look back, and then seeing the changes, well, I almost didn't really recognize the places that I knew in the past. Um, but going to side groups, I see the I see the love from when I sit at these side groups. And when we're in Guyana, some of the groups were very small, actually. But you know, from one tiny acorn, 
things can grow and grow and get better. So I, I have only wonderful memories. I want to come back. I want to sit and eat doubles with you and, uh, and a decent roti and a good cup of tea. Um, and, you know, just talking about Swami is, is very energizing and singing for him. Uh, so I just, I left, I left your hometown with fantastic memories. I can almost smell the sea and, and, and the warmth. I can feel, I know how it is in the West Indies because I know it well, that it's a different vibration in the air because of the climate. So yippee to my memories. And thank you so much that I can even get a chance to talk to you now because just, just talking about being in Trinidad brings a smile, to, a cheer to my heart. And can you share that experience that you had when you went to Guyana? Well, that was particularly interesting for me because I didn't know anything about the country and, and the capital's Georgetown, isn't it? And as we drove outside of Georgetown, I suddenly saw this big sign saying Buxton. Buxton? That's my mother's, my mother's family name. How does that come to be here and then it turns out I sat next to a small boy that evening at a side group and I said to him what have you been learning in school today sort of silly question and he was saying yeah we were learning about Thomas Buxton and I said Buxton here I hear that name again because my great 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 grandfather is Sir Thomas Fowl Buxton and this small boy was learning about my great, 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 great grandfather, who was very famous in England for abolishing slavery. And apparently he gave this area outside of this, the, of Buxton, they gave, he, he gave it back to the, I don't know, slaves, or I'm not even sure the history, but I was then put on a television show the next day with an Indian guy whose name sadly I've forgotten, who knew far more about my family history and the influence that he'd had with uh, trying to abolish slavery, especially in Guyana. So I was very impressed that I came from, that I come from such an amazing family that they all knew about him. Whereas in England, people knew about Buxton up until a few years ago, he was, his picture was on the back of the British five pound note. The Queen's on one side and on the other side was a the woman that was his Buxton's sister-in-law, Elizabeth Fry, who's my great, 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 there's four greats grandmother or something. And, and, and she was famous for prison reform. So all of this thing in my past family history came back to me just by going to Guyana. I'd love to go back again. I thought I adored the place, you know, I thought it was pretty marvelous. And see, you know what it is? It's meeting these side devotees. I have been sung in Siberia, um, you know, places that nobody would normally go to, thanks to Swami somehow or the organization then somehow sending me off to these, what looks like the end of the earth. Not that Siberia is the end of the earth, but places that you wouldn't, you don't take a holiday in normally. And, and the love of the devotion and devotion for the Lord is so positive and uplifting. It makes you realize we are one big family are we not Fies? we're just one big family and 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 led by love it's like uh, being in an army but instead of weapons our weapon is love how cool is that 
So, Sister Dana, the Sri Satya Sai Global Council West Indies wants to express gratitude and appreciation to you for taking the time to share your personal journey at the feet of Mother Sai. May Bhagwan Sri Satya Sai Baba continue to bless and guide you. May you continue to be the loving instrument that you are in the unfolding of His divine mission. Oh, Fais, thank you for saying such things. 